Hello and welcome to another episode of Miked, the official podcast of St. Michael Catholic Church, Gastonia, North Carolina, where we are invested so we can be transformed so that we can be fully the Lord Jesus Christ. I am your host, Shane Page, the Director of Evangelization here, and I am joined this week once again with the avuncular Father Rossi. <laughs> Father Rossi, <laughs> we are so glad to see you. Which word was that? <laughs> avuncular. Avuncular? Yeah, you never heard the word avuncular? I'm, no, I can say never. What does oh, it, it mean? means, well, even though you're a father, it's really, it's really a misnomer of a word uh, to use in this context. An avunc- someone who's avuncular is very like an uncle. They're, okay. they're like, you know, give good advice and, you know, they, they, the avuncular, uh, <laughs> Father Rossi. I'm, I'm trying to expand everybody's vocabulary. Including oh, you're working because most of the words you use every week, I never that. That's definitely one. <laughs> that's good right. for you. That's, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, I'm hoping, are also puzzled. Yeah, so feel that's so, right. So uneducated. <laughs> that's right. So, so last week, the topic was be saints. That's right. So my question, are you a saint yet? How are you? Where are you right now on the saint scale? I think I'm probably a saint in the making. I'm hoping. I've been praying a lot with that desire. Don't you have to be dead for five years before the canonization process, beatification process can even begin? I'm not clear. I think that's one of the rules. I'm not clear, so let's say sure. Just, you know. Okay. I think it's supposed to be five years before the beatification process. You have to be... Have expired for five years, so you well, can look that up, and he yeah. can put a little line on the video. And this the diocese and true bishop, faults. I think the diocesan bishop is one who opens the the, the cause. Okay. See, so yeah. you can't just you know just be like, hey, let's do this. So it's someone in the I think it's a, usually a bishop, someone in the hierarchy that opens the case and begins an investigation, and that at the level of you know where that's going on, and then you know. Um, they, that takes years, and then that gets all sent to Rome, and they review everything, and so it's um, it's a very long process. And because we live in an age now where everything's we have to get it right. recorded, and you know, like you know, I mean, if I if I get caught up for canonization, I mean, some poor soul they got to watch every one of these every problems. homily I've ever given that's been recorded, and you know, every note and every whatever yeah. you know. So I mean, they just examine everything about your life. So there's a lot more that's possible now because of technology but that means they're just going to have to comb through all of it yeah well i mean so uh, all saints day this week uh, how was your all saints day your beautiful, solemnity beautiful day beautiful day uh we had the banners of the saints faces up and they're yeah. still there now in the sanctuary we uh as you bought those for the youth group uh the I beautiful made them. banners you made them i made them for the youth group but you other people have used them. them it's a great yeah. joy so i decided since all saints day was coming they would look nice up in the sanctuary so now some people are wondering you know, people get afraid when you say banner in the church, in the sanctuary. <laughs> they think that, like, these cut-out felt banners, you know, from 1974. No, they're digital imagery, right, used to create these retractable banners that most people have seen in use now. And, um, and they're lovely. The, you have the faces of uh, Therese and John Paul II and Maximilian Colby, Carlo, Carlo Acutis, um, jo- St. Joseph, uh, St. Michael the Archangel, and Blessed Mother. And then Jesus is not a saint, so he's out in the That's front right. of the in the in the narthex yeah, he now, is greeting that. everybody, pointing to his sacred heart, showing everybody just what kind of love he wants to offer us, and that's the only love that transforms all those saints. That's in right. There. He is sanctity mm-hmm. as a person. He is that's right. Sanctity itself. So there they are. They're yeah. all in there, and they look great. And many people were surprised, and as they should be. It was kind of supposed to be a little bit of a surprise shock factor when they came into mass to see all these 
faces mm-hmm. staring at them with joy. And your quotes that you have for many of them that you selected were, were well-placed as well. So uh, that was fun, and they're still in there now. And if someone wants to travel down here and look in our church today and through the week, uh, they'll probably still be in there. So we'll see how long we can do that. Yeah, something about seeing the faces, especially in the age of photography. Um, the Little Flower, of course, is well-known in, in Maximilian Kolbe, St. Kolbe. We can see their faces. Right. Like, these are not cartoon figures. These exactly. are not just paintings. These mm-hmm. were real human beings who had real histories, and right. they are saints. And yep. we can we can aspire, as they did, to become saints right. themselves. Yeah, um, it's just a beautiful day and a beautiful month. Spend a little bit of time. November, you had mentioned it's, it's the month really where the church begins focusing on the last things. Right, the four last things. So as we... And everything coincides so nicely with the seasons. And so now in North Carolina, as in many parts of the nation, are experiencing what we know as fall. The colors are changing in the leaves, and leaves are literally falling. You know, I can look out the window now and see, you know, a beautiful red um, maple tree that's now almost bare already. Uh, but the leaves are falling, you know, and it shows the end is coming, the end of the season, and winter will be upon us. But, um, of course, then the end of the year, you know, the calendar year, is winding down, but then most especially the liturgical year, the church is winding down. So um, we we're we're into the final weeks of the liturgical year, uh, where we have many liturgical seasons, uh, and then those run their course. And when does the new liturgical year begin? It's Advent, mm-hmm. you know, not January. It's Advent, which begins usually at the end of November, um, with the final feast of Christ the King, the Solemnity. That marks the last Sunday in ordinary time and the last Sunday of that liturgical year. So then we will uh, be in a new year, an Advent, and that's always a time when we switch over to another evangelist, which will be the primary evangelist we hear from every Sunday. So this had been, this has been the year of Luke. Luke, he's year C. Year C. So, so there's going a cycle year, right? A B C, three year cycle for the uh, the Sunday cycles, three years A B C. So. Uh, now that C is coming to an end, we're going to jump right into Matthew, cycle A, C, um, for the readings on Sunday. So, if, uh, you know, that will be the majority of the gospel passages for the, this whole year until next Advent will be from the gospel of Matthew. And it will be mostly in succession. We will march through the gospel of Matthew Sunday after Sunday, mostly in ordinary time. Do you see that more clearly because with, you know, Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, you would get different, uh, a different set of readings for the for that time period. So it's not always going to be Matthew. There's a point there, but it'll be a lot of Matthew this coming year, starting uh, in Advent. Um, and so yes, so but before we get to that, we have November, which is the four last things: death, judgment, heaven, hell, and uh, those are the four principal certitudes uh, that we face. You know, of course this. The possibility of heaven and hell is possible for each soul. We don't know uh, where everyone will go uh, necessarily, but we do know certainly we will die. We do know certainly we will be judged by the Lord and his love and his mercy. We'll be judged in the state of our hearts. How did we love? Did we, did we really, were we really on fire for Christ or not? Were we, as you said, transformed, you know, be invested, be transformed, be his. That is the vision of St. Michael Parrish. That is the point of life, that is the point of existence, to be invested, be transformed, be his. We want to belong to Christ, but we can be invested in evil, we can be transformed into 
evil, you know, and be uh, wicked uh, and hard of hearts, and we can be his, meaning the devil's. We can choose our choices can lead us to belong to the wrong one um, in the wrong in the wrong place. Uh, so this month kicks off with All Saints Day. Hmm. Okay, that was yesterday, and then so we start with those who have is made it the wrong expression, but they are in heaven. They are they are. They made it, yeah. They, no, they, they have. That's it, yeah. the right way to say it. You know, they made it. They, the church starts November off with this great celebration of All Saints. It really is a joyful time, and I tell everybody, everybody wins. Meaning, <laughs> whoever your patron saint is, it's their day. Yes. It's your day to celebrate them. So it's not you have to wait for their feast day. It's like every saint wins today. You know, and Saint Bernard. Um, I think it's Saint Bernard in the office of readings. I love. Yeah, that. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Yeah, I Saint love Bernard what he prays. Said. Yeah, go ahead. You well, he it. just said that the the, the the saints in heaven they don't need this day. Right. They're not. Nothing is being added to their experience in heaven right now because the church has this great solemnity. But we need it. Mm-hmm. We need this day yeah. to be uh, encouraged and to uh, to persevere. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. And so we start off with great joy. The saints. I mean, they just make us so happy. Um, and there are companions. There are friends in heaven. Um, and there they are, and their faces in the sanctuary, you know. And if your church has stained glass windows and statues and all, which is all wonderful, you know, to have those things. But we can we can leave the saints in stained glass windows and porcelain statues and um, great works of art, you know. And they just seem so joyful. They just seem so happy and they also seem so frozen in time you know they can be just sort of you know even though we love the saints we still will have a we still have issues relating to them or you know that's nice their life or we just we go back into this it just must be something that's not achievable for me it's too high they're they're the spiritual olympians right Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's a problem if we think that we think they're like the superheroes the spiritual olympians or in the olympics they won they got the gold medal you know, um, and you know, Paul uses that analogy of athletic of, athlete, of uh, athletes and in, in running races, and it's good. But the point is, we're all in the race, and we're all created to finish the race with God's grace. So, sainthood is not out of reach for any of us because all things are possible with God, right. and we were made for it. And we're made for it. Like that, you know, one of <laughs> one of the altar servers was uh, saying after mass on All Saints Day, he said, "Well, I fulfilled my obligation." You know, and I said, you have not fulfilled your obligation until you become a saint. <laughs> you know, I said, you, are not a, you have not fulfilled your obligation until you become a saint. I said, don't make your guardian angel cry either. Meaning that, you know, a guardian angel's mission is to get us to heaven. If we do not become saints, that oh, angel right. has to go before the face of God and be like, I, it didn't happen. Yeah. You know, so, so All Saints Day is a time to get recharged and refocused on what the point of existence is. You know, that this is not... This isn't an optional way of being holy. It is the only way is to be a saint. And so we should all pray every day, many times, Lord, just, Lord, make me a saint. Lord, let your plan unfold for me. Make me a saint. Now, does that mean you'll be a stained class window, a statue, you know, a patron of a diocese, you know, famous? Who knows? That doesn't matter. The point is God will glorify himself in your life. Go to heaven, right? You know, and um, that is, that's where we're, Meant to be. Well, I, and, and just for clarification, I, I received a, a question from someone who's fairly new to the faith, and um, he was just asking. Now, it doesn't mean that only the canonized saints are in heaven. 
And I said, oh, oh no, that means there are, there are millions more saints that we just don't know about right, right. who are, are in heaven as well. But yeah. can I, can I saints are those These that are the, the church ones. has said, look, they, we, we have great clarity that they are in heaven. Right. The, but they're not the only ones. The in canonized heaven. ones are there because God wants them to be known publicly by the, the, the greater church, right? God has ordained that they be known in this way, the public way. And venerated because they're in his divine province, their witness or example is something that the universal church can embrace. But we can say, people will say, my my aunt, my uncle, my dad, my mom, my grandma, my grandpa, you know, my third grade teacher, but you know, the they can be saints, they can be really holy people. And we have met and do know people in our lives that just seem to inspire us and we just sort of we think all the time and we say, Oh, they're a saint, they're a saint. You know, um, and he, well, maybe. I mean, who knows? And when they die, hopefully they will be, right. right? I mean, but that's the idea. We ought to start, we ought to think like that. We ought to say that person is the same. That person reminds me of, and, and, and why? Because for some reason, their life just seems to be so dedicated to the Lord. and doesn't mean that they're perfect. And if we think that's what it is, then we don't know what saints are. Um, you know, they struggle, they, they ran the race, they fought the good fight, they kept the faith, as Paul says, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they were Olympians, but because they surrendered themselves to God in every time and circumstance, and they kept surrendering. And that transformed them, you know. So, uh, but yes, there are many, many people, millions and millions, and who knows, billions, right? Who knows how many yeah, sure. saints there are. Well, I mean, are, Revelation you know? says multitudes. There yeah. were multitudes from every race and tongue. Yeah. You know, he and saw even in the vision. large groups of Just, martyrs, you know, we honor certain martyrs by name, and we might see, you know, so-and-so in companions. You know, St. Isaac Jokes and St. John de Brebeuf, to think of the ones that just were a few weeks ago in October. The North American uh, martyrs who martyred what is now modern-day Canada uh, by uh, uh, violent uh, tribal uprisings up there between the Iroquois and the Mohawk tribes. Um, But anyway, uh, you know, their names are known, and then you've got all the other ones who died with them. And, you know, you can know their names too, but... But, I mean, there's many, many, many that in that group. And you may not know them by name. You can know their names uh, if you search that up. But, again, it's there's the names that are known, and then there's the unknown uh, saints, um, which are there. And the priest reminded me, he says, it's sort of like the Tomb of the Unknown, unknown Soldier. Mm-hmm. You know, the unknown one represents, well, the ones that are unknown right. all throughout, right? So there's unknown saints for sure. Yeah, and I guess since we're focusing on you know the last things, is that one of the reasons why the reading coming up even this Sunday, the gospel will be about the resurrection? Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about again death. It would be interesting to do maybe a podcast on judgment. There's a lot of confusion about judgment as well. Oh, I think I think our our plan is probably to to hit these uh, these topics throughout the yeah, month. Yeah, I, 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 I certainly don't like the thought of being judged by God, but you're being judged by truth itself. But you're also being judged by love itself. And I always go back to First John. I cannot remember the chapter of the verse. It says, brothers, we, we should have confidence on the day of judgment. You know, mm-hmm. we should have confidence. That's what the Apostle John says on the day of judgment. Um, I did think of something last week, though, that I'm going to share now. After our podcast, we were talking about how we're called to be saints. Yes. I remembered the uh, a sermon or, or maybe from his book by Rowan Williams. You ever heard of Rowan Williams? He was the former Archbishop Canterbury, of Canterbury. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Really brilliant mind. And he said, uh, 
in this book of his or the lecture, I can't remember which one it was, that there are really two kinds of people. There are saints, but then there are saintly people. He says, you can tell the difference between a saint and a saintly person. He says, when you're around a saintly person, they are so good and good in every way. They just make you feel terrible about yourself, you know, like judged. I mean, everything just seems to be so right about them. They're so saintly. But he says, but when you're around a saint, a true saint, you never feel judged in any way, you feel like there's hope for yourself that, hey, maybe God's got something in store for me as well. And that when you leave the presence of a saint, you feel joy. You're filled with joy and you're filled with hope, unlike a saintly person mm-hmm. who makes you feel less than. Yeah. I don't know. I like that distinction. It's a, it's is that the saints always make you. So if you were, if you've met Padre Pio or any of the great saints, they would have made you be filled with hope. Mm-hmm. that um, God's not through with me yet, and uh, I still have time to run this race. Yeah, so that's, I think that's a good distinction there. That's a compelling thought that um, uh, Rowan Williams offers. Um, but it is something, I, I find that sainthood and saintliness, as we are calling it, seems to be that which is recognized by other people. Yeah. I'm not necessarily sure that the saints were like, I know I'm a saint, you know, or at least in the moment, you know. Right. I think in their life, I don't think they went around going, well, I know I'm a saint. You know, <laughs> I think they, they knew they were sinners and had a deep re, deep understanding of their weaknesses right. and were courageous enough to surrender themselves to God's will time again, time and again. You know, they just they lived with a constant hope, not in themselves. They got rid of self-reliance and trusted in God. And, you know, that... They placed all their trust in the Lord in every circumstance of their lives, you know. And um, with with the the saints, I, I think that we see that in other people. We and that's how it works mm-hmm. in many ways, right? I mean, the testimony of others as the church, you know. There's of course, if the saint wrote or spoke or whatever, there's that. But there's there's also what others are saying, you know, the, the way that they change their lives. You know, and in the end, it's saints show us God. Like I, you know, if you're in the presence of a saint, I feel like you want to say, "I feel I felt close to Christ. I felt close to the Lord. I have hope." Mm-hmm. You know, um, they encourage me I'm to encouraged. spur yeah, on. Encouraged. You know, and I mean, I it's not encouraged. about it's yeah. not the encouragement of a world like you know, hey, you're okay, I'm okay. <laughs> right. Whatever sure. you want to do with sure. your life is fine. Just be happy. You know, that is not that is not the Beatitudes, and that's not what the saints would say. The saints would say, give your life to Christ, be invested, be transformed, be his. That's what you should do with your life. Mm-hmm. And you, and the one telling you that is the one who's doing it. That's right. So I think the witness of that, people know instinctively, well, this person's actually choosing to give themselves over to Christ, and they do seem joyful and peaceful. But, the, the you know, the marker for us is suffering, and I that was my homily this all saints who said what do they all have in common that's true and you know ken and i were just talking about that is suffering you know they suffered and you cannot find a saint and go through life and 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 find nothing but you know suffering that's so much it'll be there you know so hardships and hardships and i think that for us the saints just like well they seem to have it all together in their life yeah i know they probably had some bad moments Oh, sure. You know, but my goodness gracious, you look through the trajectory of life and they had long chapters and periods of tremendous grief and suffering. And that those are the things we will face hands down, whether you are a 
atheist or the most you know open-hearted Christian, you will face suffering. Right. And that is the fork in the road. And suffering purifies us, and that's what the Book of Revelation says. All the saints says these are the ones who stood the test of the trial. They they endured the time of distress. They were purified in the blood of the Lamb. So the distress, the the pain, the suffering of life has the ability to deepen our love and our faith, or to harden us against God. You know, and 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 you know, to heck with God and this whole thing. And why would He allow X and X to happen to me and my or my loved ones or? And a loving God would never do this. And, you know, I just, and I've been so faithful, and then this happens, you know, and I hit my microphone <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> you know. But anyway, yeah. um, I'm Italian, that's what you get. Yeah. But uh, I think that that, I mean, I think of myself, too. I mean, I, I'm so weak, you know, and I know, man, I mean, I'm just not, I'm so weak and not even heroic at all. And the little sufferings I don't do well with, in the daytime that, that have little consequence and the saints are dealing with tremendous suffering. Um, but they have been given grace yes. to help them through that suffering. So that's that's they, they surrendered to it and they they let God's will unfold for them. And I think that's the, the courage they have is, you know, in the end to say divine providence, God's will allows everything to happen. You're right. Yes, he didn't save that child that died and he didn't stop that gunmen from going in for a mass shooting and no god didn't stop any of these things you know these tread no he could have done yes he could have done a lot of things right and somehow you know we don't understand in our point of view of of life we do not see the bigger picture and and it, it's not that god likes the tragedy and the suffering but that he um, that we're and we're invited into it in our own lives um and yes, there it is, you know, the horrible things that we suffer at the hands of others or because of illness or loss or tragedy. Um, but that is where love is purified. It's like, do I really love the Lord? Do I really want to surrender to him yep. in this moment or not? And that, that's the only way to heaven is grace through suffering, you know, suffering with grace, as it were. And that's maybe that's. The saints, you know, they suffered gracefully. Um, but it was still real suffering. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, you know, even with, you could look at Therese and, mm-hmm. uh, and others, uh, you know, many of them uh, internal suffering, great tragic trials of faith, right? Therese was so, it was so hard for her to even think of heaven at one point, right? She, and she, be, almost began she, to, she had total darkness of spirit. It was hard for her to believe. Whereas belief for her was something that was just a part of her life, but there came a period her last nine months when it was darkness, yeah. nothing but darkness. And, and I'm just I'm going to be honest. That frightens me. I mean, that what a fright. I mean, this is this you know very holy, devoted Carmelite young, on fire with divine love sister, little Trez, little flower, to to have that experience. But even with you know Mother Teresa after her death, come be my light. Reading her book, I haven't read most of it but the parts that i've been exposed to she reveals in there that she had this deep internal darkness that she carried for decades mm-hmm. no one ever knew it mm-hmm. you know um so it's an amazing thing to look at their lives you know and it's uh, even with to to say that i think what maybe therese had mentioned in her life was that she was sort of being asked the final cross was to carry the atheism you know, to, of the human soul to carry the 
what it, what those souls are like that have rejected God, have despaired, and to experience and to suffer that with them in the hopes of, of course, that her suffering, which she offered to God every moment, would allow these hardened sinners to turn back to the Lord. But isn't that... That's right. right. She had a desire. And I think that's important to clarify that many of these saints had a desire given to them by God to suffer on behalf of great sinners. And of course, who is the sufferer par excellence of great sinners but Christ Christ on his cross? And Therese, even uh, on her deathbed, her sisters would share her inspirational stories of saints who died in these transports. And Therese was like, why do we have this idea that to be a saint, I have to die in transports, like this great euphoric thing. Look at our Lord on the cross. I mean, he's our savior. He did not die in transports, but in great agony, but for sinners. But she desired that. And the Lord, by a special grace that I don't think will be uh, imparted or communicated to all of us, she was really united to Christ in the darkness of his cross for the sake of other sinners. Let me suffer for their sake, Lord. Yeah. But that was something that she actually desired, you know, and believed that that was a vocation, a special vocation that God had given her. But she would also say, as other saints have said, that sacrifice in this life is the proof of of love. I mean, there's really no other way for us to really show that we love someone without some form of suffering. Hands down the truth. And anything, anyone we respect, admire, is always someone who seems to give of themselves for us. Yes. This person loves me. Why? Because they give time. Yes, there's a sacrifice involved. Yeah, so you're right. There's you think about a soldier, the one who loves the country, is the one who's willing to die for it. The suffering of the soldier. We say that's a supreme sacrifice. Right, right. It's the proof of of love, and that suffering can prove our love for God. And it shows us: Are we in this for our sake, or are we really in this for God's sake? Um, I'm with you. I mean, I think about some of the. The trials and tragedies that many of the great saints have have been through, and I think, gosh, I don't, I, I don't know what I would do if I were in the moment in the line of fire. Yeah. But I also know that they were able to withstand and endure the moment because of their cooperation with the grace of God. Sure. They weren't not necessarily alone. The they were would, they were strengthened. Yeah, I think the saints would just say, of course, we're we feel frightened and reluctant, and but I think the saints would say, just trust Him, you know and enter into that and embrace it, you know, and just pray for the grace to endure it. You know, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is in First Thessalonians, where Paul says, you know, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. What I love about that is that, yeah, we mourn, we're sorrowful, but as Christian people, we never lose hope. We mourn with hope and not as though those who are without hope. You know what verse mm-hmm. I'm talking about? I don't know. That just is a... Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's a, that's that's a, a great reading for, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So on uh, in your homily, you had mentioned the parents of the little flower as yes. a part of your... Uh, and I heard that you, you drew some great contrast. Was it on this very topic? Tell us a little bit about that. Not everybody was able to hear your homily. Sure. Um, well, I, I was praying about how to, you know, for all saints, homily preaching and what how to draw the faithful towards them. And it was the fact of suffering. You know, what unites them all? What do they all share suffering? You can mm-hmm. see it in their lives. And um, as I learned about St. Therese's parents, you know, uh, Zaley and Louis Martin, um, and um, I'm probably not using the right French pronunciations. Uh, it's but, okay, we're in Gastonia. You know. <laughs> we're good with that. <laughs> Zaley and, and Louis seem to be the, the Anglified version. But... Um, they were just canonized last year in October 
on World Mission Sunday, I think it was October 18th, 2021. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I heard about it, but I didn't really jump into learning about them. But this time around, um, I used the Hollo app. Hello, yes. Yeah, Hello, and um, they did a series on saints seven days, and one of them was on Zaley and Louis Martin, and I hit that and began to listen, and and I think right away when I began to learn about all the suffering in their lives, and that they were canonized together as a married couple, I felt like this is so important, because I, being in pastoral ministry as a priest, you know, marriage is... We, we are so behind as a church on <laughs> helping married couples, I feel, and encouraging them. And I, I, I sense that there's just, there continues to be this idea that can float around the church's attitude that, you know, if you're a priest or you're a religious sister and you have a habit and you have a cassock, you're at the altar, wear investments and you got the collar and all the nice externals of, of religious life and consecrated life and priesthood that... You know, it, it just seems to be like glorified, you know. Um, and if anything, the last several decades have shown us, <laughs> you know, uh, priests and religious can be, can certainly be anything but saintly people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sadly. But um, any one of us can abandon holiness. And Fulton Sheen says, you know, a person can be, any person can be a great saint or a great sinner. You know, a great saint can become a great sinner and a great sinner can become a great saint Mm -hmm. you know um, that we have the potential for both right and so um i do think it was so important because you know i don't know off the top of my head listing a lot of married couples obviously mary and joseph the holy family christmas time they're right there but let's just be honest we know that most people have a hard time relating to mary and joseph the holy family you know there's not a lot in scripture to tell us directly a lot of the pain and suffering there is certainly with our lady Joseph, it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, it's there. It's mm-hmm. there, and there's good writings on, on how that can be seen, and they're so relatable. And, in fact, they're always the supreme. If Zaley and Louis Martin are holy, it's because they love the Holy Family, for sure, mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph and Jesus. But um, looking at their lives and reading through it was just uh, powerful for me because it really sounded like most of the suffering and the challenges of their lives I've heard about from all married couples, from walk, different walks of life, different stages in married life. I've heard it all from them. And it's like I wanted to really give the parish, like, because, you know, hey, let's, the reality is, is that most people, you know, are married, mm-hmm. you know, and sadly there are those who suffer the pain of divorce and f- broken homes. But, you know, most people embracing a vocation today, it's marriage, you yes. know, because, and that's God's plan. You know, a parish is one priest. And everybody else, you got most single people, you know, searching for vocation maybe, but or, but married people, so married mm-hmm. couples, so mm-hmm. many. You mm-hmm. are married with children, you mm-hmm. know. So, um, I, I felt like the Holy Spirit was asking, like, introduce everybody to these two saints. Now they're mm-hmm. needed now more than ever, and I don't know how much you want to get into about the specifics. I know you know about the parents of Therese too, uh, but it really this what? is really a, a moment in time in the church where. They have emerged together. You have at the Vatican a beautiful banner on the, last year with the, this married couple together being canonized at the same time. And that, I think, the Lord is doing something very unique in our history. What is, where is the ta- attacks of the devil hitting hard, hitting the hardest 
marriage in the family? Well, that's the first place, you know, in the, the RCIA class. We, we were looking at Genesis chapter 2, and it's right after um, God says, and a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Right after that, the serpent. The serpent mm-hmm. immediately appears right. after the annunciation yep. of the family. Yep. Um, and I, that's not a coincidence as well. You know, I think that Zelly and Louis, they knew what their marriage was for, and they knew what their children were for and mm-hmm. why they had children. And they did suffer. They, they lost. She had four sons, mm-hmm. or no, four ch- other children. Yep. Uh, three daughters, that, uh, excuse me, two sons or maybe three sons and another daughter. The three, daughter died three, at four, yeah, two, yeah. and then the three sons in infancy, so they had to bury four children. Um, they had the, the rigors of, of a business. You know, Zelie was a, a businesswoman in a day where that wasn't very common. She was running her lace business. Uh, Louis was a watchmaker. Yep. He had his business. He was always pressured, open the doors of your business on Sunday. He never would do oh, that. Oh, yeah, I remember you saying that. But they, what's funny is that they at first did you hear about this that they they had a josephite marriage yeah i kind of used that word you know but it kind of a little loosely but they did not consummate yeah. the marriage because both of them aspired to the religious life right she was turned down he could not handle the latin right. and realized that uh, this wasn't his vocation so they married later in life and they wanted to preserve their uh, their virginity. Sure. But it was a parish priest who says, you know, you need to really think this through. And yeah. she had a desire for children, but for one purpose. If I'm going to have children, I want them to be raised up to the Lord. I want to have a house of saints. Yeah. That's what I want. And they ordered everything about their life around the Eucharist yeah. and around the Mass. That was uh, one of the things when they were first married, as you said, for our listeners, the Josephite marriage. What does that mean? Well, that... You know, it means basically living like celibacy within marriage. You yes. Know? Um, and so, and the church doesn't, uh, we don't do, I mean, as far as I know, we don't do that anymore. In fact, a marriage has to be consummated in marital intimacy for it to be valid mm-hmm. as a sacrament. Um, so, but they didn't for a while. They abstained from that for a while. But yes, they were called to to open their lives to children, and mm-hmm. they did. You know, for the reason of making yeah. saints. But before that time, Lord. without the children, they were always going to daily Mass. They were very prayerful people. And it was said that in the in the town they would be up in the morning and they would hear their door open and close in the, in, you know, because in a small town you can hear everything. Yeah, that's right. But they said, well, it's just the Martins going to Mass. We can sleep a little longer. Right. But they were, the two of them were up every day going to daily Mass. Yeah. Um, and frequent visits to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament during adoration. He wouldn't necessarily stay an entire hour, but if he had his daughters with him, he was like, let's just stop by in the church for about 10 make minutes. Make a visit. Oh, make, yeah, a, yeah. make a visit. And uh, Therese was very much influenced by that. Um, and she would see her father praying, and she would say, gosh, that must be what it looks like when the saints pray. She was just enamored of right. him. But they didn't, I mean, they were heroic to us, but all they would say to you is that, no, we were just everyday disciplined and intentional about centering Christ in our home. We're going to go to daily Mass. We're going yep. to make frequent visits to the sacrament, and we're going to pray together. Yep. That really was the bedrock of their family. So the things that were stuck out foundational for me in learning about their lives, of course, was the first, their vocations. They both wanted to be in the religious life. You know, I think he wanted to be a monk, maybe a monk and a priest, too. I wasn't certain. It seemed like he would probably be ordained, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Mm-hmm. It's pretty common to be a monk that's also a priest. Um, and then she wanted to be in religious life, and she was told by Mother Superior, "You do not have a vocation of religious life," which crushed her. And then it crushed. And her. then Louis was studying, trying to get get ahead, and, and and he got sick, and he realized that maybe that he couldn't continue to do that. So he figured that was his sign from the Lord, you know. But they uh, 
you know, I learned that, Z- that Zelie cried on her wedding day copious tears of sorrow for that, knowing that this desire she had since a child to be a religious sister would never be fulfilled. That's right. You know, so she mourned that. And I think that's important to know even that because there are people who want a particular vocation. Maybe they want to be married or they, you know, which is a natural call for us is to be, to be married. But maybe religious life doesn't work out or, or seminary life. And it, it's not part of, it's not God's plan. And right. I think people can be, feel like, well, there's nothing for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, wrong. God's plan is better than yours. You know, and he had other plans for Zaley and Louis. And then, you know, the, Louis' mother set them up, as I learned. Well, she little, saw him yeah. up on a bridge yeah. um, when she was out and about. And uh, she said, I heard a voice say that this is the man I have prepared for you. Yes. And they had never met. And right. she went home and told her parents this. And her father was furious. <laughs> you heard a voice. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, no, this is the man, you know, that uh, I heard the voice say, this is the man I have prepared for you. And then uh, they eventually had a conversation together. I cannot remember where they met, but uh, sure enough, they dated for just a few weeks, and it was married time to get three married. Months. Three <laughs> months, three months were married. So, like, listeners, like, whoa, yeah, the church says six months, so don't worry. And she we're was not, close to thirty yeah. years old, I think, before they married. Okay. I think he was wow. thirty-four. So then, that was, in that culture, that would have been much older. So that's amazing too, because you have nine children. Mm-hmm. So yes, they lost the two first sons. Both of them named Joseph, both in infancy, both two. Mary you know, Joseph, both named Mary Joseph. Oh, they named Mary all of their children after Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay. They certainly Mary did. Mary Joseph, yeah. okay. Um, and then they had a the little, um, they had a the little, well, then the five-year-old girl, the daughter Helene. Helena. Helena. She died of uh, infection, I yes, think. Yes, it was very sudden. Yeah, so five-year-old girl. So, But after the first two sons died, Zaley's father died also 10 days later. So, so you have this mother who's buried two little baby sons and her father mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the, you know what I learned was she would go through the cemetery weeping and she would just kneel at the grave and the headstones and she couldn't pray and guess know? what was and, and what was going in on in her own body there was a growing cancerous tumor growing in her breast oh, so she had breast time. cancer she, she had breast find, cancer as well okay, so that, that, in a that, day where yeah. that was not treated but she held, had pain Therese almost died of malnutrition as an infant that's that right. was the last yeah. one. She could not nurse her child, and so they had to hire a wet nurse to feed Therese. And so Therese was living with this wet nurse for like two years. Um, and then Therese was able to come home after two years, and of course Therese had attached to this her wet a, nurse. That's another point to make, too. You know, there's only so much in a homily you can, you can unfold, but they needed wet nurses for most of the little children. So I think, and just so our listeners know, that's you know, getting someone to breastfeed the child for you because his mother can't do that. But it is, of course, that's a suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot feed your child. You can't nurse your child. You can't have that experience of nursing your child. For mothers, that would be a, a great pain um, to experience that. Um, but then, you know, when all, is all that sorrow of the death of children for yeah. children dying at different times for different reasons. Um, and, you know, so you have that happening. But then... You have what what they're left with five daughters, right? Right, but then uh, you're right, and then you brought up her breast cancer. So, how many people have breast cancer today? How many people have suffered? How many people have loved ones who have died from breast cancer? How many have it right now? Mm-hmm. You know, Zaley had it. Zaley died from it. This is true. And it was a horrible. Yeah, pain. and 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 Therese was four years old, and that yeah. was the moment that that really crushed her, mm-hmm. and rightly so. Um, but even with I learned about Zaley's patience. 
you know, and she'd climb the stairs, Therese would be climbing her stairs, and Zelie was the lace maker, so she's intricately working with her uh, her needle and mama from the stair, and then, okay, yes, my child, you know, uh, just to, is she still around? Is she looking at her? Yep, she goes up one more stair. Mama? You know, she's trying to stitch, and it's like it's, her patience is summoned every time the child says, mama. mama, you know, and then she would go and finally climb the stair and pick her up to go up the stairs and then why is this foundational? Because this is exactly the memory that Therese uses later in her little way about going to heaven. Like she's not going to climb a staircase. She's going to get use an elevator. And the elevator will be the arms of Jesus that's that will right. just pick her up in her weakness and carry her to heaven. And that's what, that's what got her a doctor of the church. That among many other things that she's written, Therese. And here now... Now, and many people maybe don't know this, now we see this is Zaley. This is her mother who taught her that example to say, well, I'm going to use an elevator instead of, I'm not going to climb a big, long staircase. Mm -hmm. I'm too weak to do that to go to heaven. So I'm going to use the elevator. Jesus' arms of love and mercy will lift me up, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yep. What, so, what child? What child's parents would not raise him or her up when right. a child holds out his or her hands saying, I can't reach? Ah, that's what yeah. that's what the, our loving Lord will do. And that is really a great moment to pause and say that's the prayer for sainthood. Every one of us is is, is to do that. You raise your hands and say, "I can't reach." Yeah, correct. Yeah, and but I can confidence. make it happen that's for right. you. I will make you a saint. Let me lift you. Let me do the. Let me do it. You know, it's not a quietism. This isn't. That's correct. This isn't. Yes. I don't have to do anything. This means you have to lift your hands up. You have to cry out in prayer. You have to try. You have to let yourself be lifted up. You can't balk and kick and throw a fit. You know. But I learned, too, that Trez had fits, and Zaley was very oh, tried. She was and stubborn. She would throw herself on the ground, and little Trez would kick and scream. And it's funny. I go, you mean Trez had a—she was a saint. She had—yeah, she was spoiled. She was a spoiled she little girl. She was spoiled, and, 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 uh, and people need to know that. And yeah. it was kind of allowed, right? I mean, the family spoiled her. But after Zaley died, um, you know, uh, Louis was then a widower. Mm-hmm. And lived by him, by him. You know, he never remarried, so he had. But now five daughters that he loved, and they they adored him. They called him, you know, their king. Mm-hmm. And um, he was uh, he he loved his daughters and did everything he could to make life better for them. Before Zelie died, she she really asked Louis to move um, from I can't say the name right, Alençon or Alençon to Lucie. Yeah, so be closer to her brother and yeah. his wife. So to move from there to Lucie was hard for him because that was everything he knew uh, Louis, and where he had his prayer place and just everything. Moving the, the daughters to Lucie was difficult. Mm-hmm. So that another sacrifice, but he did it. And um, but then we find other loss right from Louis's life. We and you can probably pick that up. What else? Was he losing then at that His point? own daughters. Yeah. Eventually his own daughters were not, not to death, but to the Carmelite monastery. Were they um, all Carmelites? So one went to the Poor Clares, right? One of the, yeah, Leone, she was. Now, she kept coming back. Uh, okay. There were convents that would turn her down, and uh, that was a real so strain So everyone went into the Carmelite? All, all of okay. them eventually ended up in the Carmelite monastery. And we have to understand what the Carmelite monastery was. It's sure. the, like the most austere order. You don't see each other and, anymore. And you don't say, talk to it's each other cloistered, anymore. Cloistered, so we did cloistered. Okay, cloistered, I'm sorry. Yeah, the cloistered. So people say, so "What's cloistered mean?" It means they live in a contained convent, which means outsiders are only brought in, and that includes anybody, even family, only brought in under the you know strict regulations. And there's a grill. They say not like grill you cook hamburgers on, but 
Um, it's a, it's like bars, literally bars in the wall uh, where there's a sitting room and the bars are there and you can see through the bars on the other side is your family or visitors where you can receive visitors. And, um, you, you know, you can say hello and I, you know, I don't know if they shake hands or what. It depends on the, 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 the really no eye contact. I mean, yeah. depending on the time period, but yeah, it was a very harsh time. But I uh, just so everyone knows that the cloister uh, Carmelites in the time that Trez and daughter, her sisters joined was very austere. So Louis could probably only see his daughters maybe once a week. And again, visits were very, very brief. Um, it's a cloister life is a beautiful life, though. I mean, I don't want to say, oh, this is, I would never do that. Well, it's a very beautiful life. And what, what is that? set apartness is these these are brides of christ that have been totally given over to jesus to live a hidden you know kind of uh hidden life of a of a convent community mm-hmm. that is that is pretty much totally separated from the world and and these these uh, girls i mean the, louis and zelie were very successful um in their business they never lived lavishly but they always had enough and mm-hmm. to go from a, a fairly affluent family to an austere cloistered life that really again speaks volumes to the devotion of yeah. Zelie and Louis and the impression that they had and so he loses his uh, daughters eventually over a period of time but he's also losing his mind yeah that's so right. Louis succumbed to dementia or Alzheimer's he had a stroke going to mass one yeah, day there was learned, a couple yeah. of strokes that yeah. he had uh, so, so who's had family members have a stroke right right I mean who whose spouse we even have people in our own parish who have strokes caring for their spouses um, so we have that happening Uh, You mentioned dementia. Dementia. How many people have people in their families that are suffering from dementia The tipping point for the family, uh, which was a great embarrassment to them, uh, Therese had just left and entered the the cloistered life, and uh, he just wandered off. So so Louis just wandered. He just took a walk and went missing. And uh, they found him, and then they had to put him in a mental institution. Now, what I learned— And she was blamed for that. See, Therese was uh, almost blamed. If, if only—if the daughters were at home with him, he wouldn't have lost his mind the way he was. Now, right. Celine, who was, the, uh, who was a little older than Therese, she stayed, and Leonie stayed with him to care for him. But it was a great source of, of suffering for the daughters in the cloister. Yeah. Well, what I learned, too, is that one day he actually got a gun. He got his gun out. Okay. Because he thought there was a war coming. Mm-hmm. And he had to protect his daughters, right? So, th- but that was, I think, the tipping point where they had to put him in, in, a, in a psychiatric institution, an asylum, is what it would have been. It was called. an asylum. And you know, back then, this this was not; these were not good places. These were places people didn't really know what to do with right. people who were losing their minds. They didn't know much about dementia and how to treat it. And but even there, I learned that you know, Louis still gave good holy example. He's still prayerful. Uh, gentle and you know he was his holiness was still apparent even when he was losing his mind which was a sad suffering for him too because he valued his sharp mind he was a watchmaker and you know and to yeah so and then he ends up passing away you know um, without um, his I don't don't know if his daughters could they they couldn't be there could they Wow. See, I didn't really. So tell me about that. Well, Celine was there, was able to, to bury him and Leone. But uh, no, once you went into the cloister, you were there for life. You so was there anyone her. around for him when he when he was? Everyone was in the convent at this point, right? Not everyone. Celine and Leone were still at home. Okay. But uh, both of them were still aspiring to the religious life. But they thought, well, maybe we need to take care of our father here as well, which which they did. Okay. But no, Therese could not be there for the for the funeral. No, nor could her other sisters who were. Already in the cloister, you can't leave. 
Um, But uh, but as soon as he died, then Celine entered the same cloister as Therese and some of her other sisters, to the chagrin of some of the other sisters there. Like, this is too many too many uh, blood relations in, in one place. Too many Martins. And then Leone did become, and we don't give Leone enough credit. She's a great, I think she should be considered Well, there I, I heard that they're opening her cause. Yeah, she really already suffered open. as well. Leone, Lots of sorrow yeah. in her life and depression and, and really struggled with that. So they were a, they were a normal family in many yep. ways who had many common struggles today, sure. but yet they trusted in God throughout the yep. entire process and, and and become for us this great example. And you have these this married couple with lots of children, running around and temper tantrums, and both of them are working. Um, I, I just think it's important that married couples see doesn't this resound like pretty much like. Your typical Catholic family is trying to raise the kids, yeah. do the right thing, be holy, you know, and struggling. And I think that couples can feel so discouraged, yeah. you know, like my kids are noisy at mass. I'm always getting up. I'm, you know, I don't know. And, you know, they're struggling, got another baby on the way. You know, I've got so many families here expecting babies, which is so wonderful. But some families, you know, one family having three under three, about to, you know, mm-hmm. just and that's I, I think that people can married couples can feel like they're so overwhelmed with family life that can they be holy and it's like but that is where you will become holy that's right you're going to become holy right there with all those babies close in age or right there with your many children growing up and starting to yes. leave home and 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 you know um and, the, and when your spouse is ill or when someone in the family dies god forbid but certainly we know you know loss of children Children that have died, you know, stillborn or at young ages from tragedies. Azalea and Louis Martin right there. Not one but four. Right. And know? and to have the courage to have more. Right. Yeah, and to and to have yeah, and to keep having more children yep. at her older age. So um just it's really exciting to for me to have met them and I, I hope that Catholics will look into their lives and um and be inspired by them because they're inspiring to me. Um, and it's just it's a time in which we just so need to see married saints uh, that we can see you know marriage is the first sacrament mm-hmm. I mean it, it was it was uh, the first one that was on in creation before the fall yeah um, that's true and uh, it's it's and we, it's what we, makes we, us saints you know I think about you know how Jesus says I was hungry and you fed me I was naked and you clothed me I was thirsty and you gave me something huh. to drink babies being well, but he was a, well, but Mary and Joseph actually did that to him. Right. I mean, this was the common, yeah. ordinary task of feeding the child, clothing the mm-hmm. child, giving the child something to drink. That can be as sanctifying as praying the liturgy of the hours in a, in a cloister if you do it faithfully. Yeah. Uh, and and with grace. Anything can be sanctified. Anything can be used to sanctify you. I think that's important to know. Yeah. You know, say, well, I'm not in the church doing church things, so I can't be holy. Totally wrong. That's right. Totally wrong. Yeah, so there's doing what hope. God's asked of you. Right. So again, we go back to the saintly people kind of make you feel less than, but uh, the example of saints like Zelie and Louis make us feel encouraged, and we should there be encouraged. Yep, we should be. Yeah. Well, thank you, Father. Yep. Thank you all for listening and watching. And next week, I guess we'll need to talk about purgatory and judgment and everything. Sure. <laughs> well, why not? Why not? Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you want more information about our parish, the great things happening here, please go to our website at stmccg.org. Or if you've got a topic. That that you would like for us to discuss and Father to address, drop us an email. You'll find my email address on the website as well. So on behalf of Father Rossi, I am Shane Page. Thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you next time. God bless.